As we come now before the very Word of God, you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like to read along with me uh, to 1 John in chapter 4. That's the first letter of John, not the Gospel, the first letter of John in chapter 4. I know without the air conditioning, it's hard to listen when it's hot. Okay, we'll just have to bear with one another in the midst of this. Um, But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, uh, we know that before the mountains were brought forth or before you had even formed the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The word of your mouth is eternal throughout all ages. So now as we come in this moment before these eternal things, help us to listen with reverence and belief. Guide us in this time to know you more that we would praise your name. We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 John in chapter 4. We have a good number of verses at least to read. Uh, We'll begin in verse uh, 7 and carry through the end of the chapter. So 1 John chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, is, uh, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. Now, today we come to one of the most, if not the most, central themes in all of John's writings, which is the theme of love. John is sometimes called the apostle of love because of how often he engages with love in particular. Uh, The word love is peppered throughout all of John's writings, especially in this letter. In fact, in the first letter of John, love is the word that John uses most often, second only to the word God. In the Gospel of John, uh, John refers to himself just as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, Here, John frequently refers to us, the listeners of this, as beloved. And he reminds us as Christians of our fundamental call, which is that we are to love one another. This is the fulfillment of Christ's new command, that we love each other as he loved us. So we've heard John, if you've been with us over these past months, we've heard John speak of love many times already throughout this letter, but this is the section where he speaks about love in the most concentrated way. So here's finally the time now where it's time for us to take up this theme of love. It's too much for us to carry in our arms all at once, so we're going to have to stretch it out, I think, over a few weeks. We're going to focus on the next uh, three weeks on the three, what uh, three are three of the most famous lines in the letter. In future weeks, we'll look at the, the lines, perfect love casts out fear, and the line, we love because he loved us first. But today we get the shortest sentence, which is simply, God is love. He says it twice in this section. God is love. And so now in our time here, we'll ponder, what does that mean? You know, on the face of it, it seems obvious enough, doesn't it? God is love. To speak about God in terms of love is pretty common. If you ask a random person on the street, street, even somebody who's not a Christian, to describe how they think about God, you know, one of the top things that often gets mentioned is love. Even our youngest kids are, are pretty familiar with God's love. Even, you know, it's woven into their earliest songs, isn't it? We don't sing, yes, Jesus saves me. We could. We sing, yes, Jesus loves me. Or or maybe you know the song, praise him, praise him, all you little children. Do you know this one? God is love, God is love. I won't sing the rest of it. Praise praise him, praise him. There, you know how it goes, right? You know, there, there is a sort of simplicity about God's love. So there is a true sense that even a toddler can wrap her tiny hand around the love of God. That's true. 
At the same time, we should never think that the love of God is simple child's play. It is much more than that. There's another uh, song, a hymn, that was written in in, uh, 1917, so more than 100 years old, uh, called The Love of God is Greater Far. It's not in our hymnal now, but I dug it up. It's in one of our old hymnals. It ends, the final stanza goes like this. Listen to the imagery. I don't normally read uh, lines of hymns, but this one's pretty vivid in the images. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man by scribe a, tr- uh, a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry? Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. There's something deeply profound in that. That if the whole sky were a scroll and all of the oceans were filled with ink, even that would not be enough to be able to fit the writing of these three little words, God is love. Even if we could fit that in the, in the scroll of the sky, imagine taking the whole scroll of God's love to try to hold it in your hands. Imagine trying to grasp it all in your mind, to try to feel it all in your heart. That would be unthinkable. We cannot even begin to touch the edges of this. The sheer immensity of God's love overwhelms our senses. It stretches beyond the bounds even of eternity because infinite God is infinite love. Now, this does not mean that we are unable to fathom anything of God's love at all. It's big, but we can know, can see, can experience God's love truly, richly. We're told here by John that the love of God is manifested to us that is shown to us, revealed to us. And that manifestation of his love comes mainly in Jesus. Jesus is that whole sky scroll all rolled up. That's what John's talking about here. Let's see, at the end of verse 8, God is love. Then he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So all these most central parts of our faith as believers, all of these are expressions of the love of God. The reality that the eternal son of God has now walked the earth. The reality that he was sent to be the propitiation for our sin or the the atoning sacrifice who would pay that awful price for sin and save us from sin so that we could have eternal life, not just live forever after we die, life through Jesus, that God himself would be our life now and forever. And all of that, John says, in this is love. 
All of this is a manifestation of the very love of God. Every part of our salvation in Jesus, of your salvation if you are a believer, every part of it emerges from God's love. It doesn't come from any sense of God's obligation or responsibility. It doesn't come from God being disappointed or frustrated in us. It doesn't come from God having his hands tied and, well, I don't really know what else to do. They made a mess, so here's what I have to do. All of this flows from the headwaters of God's love. So now, what exactly is this? What is God's love? John doesn't give us a nice, tidy definition of God's love. If you like those sorts of things, well, too bad. Uh, He doesn't do it. He shows us what God's love looks like, what God's love does, and we might summarize that doing, that picture of love like this, that his love is his affectionate action for our good, his affectionate action for our good. But I give that just as a summary here. That's not a full definition of love. Love is a bit like humor in the sense that, you know, have you ever taken a really funny joke that someone didn't laugh at? How dare they? That was funny. You know, you had a really funny joke, and so you, you take it apart to try to explain it, and then as you do that, it just ceases to be funny. You know, the more you take it apart, the less funny it is. Similarly, if we go too far to try to take apart love to explain it, it just ceases to really be very loving. (laughs) And we don't want to cross over that line. So, So with these rich and precious words that God is love, rather than try to define all of its sides and lose the meaning, I think it would be better for us in the rest of our time to contrast what John doesn't say here with what he does. So he says, God is love. Let me give us four, they'll be brief, four contrasts of things that he doesn't say that I think will help us understand better what the love of God looks like. You doing okay? Fan your neighbor. Okay? Fan your neighbor. Four, I'll be brief, and then we'll be done here. Okay? John says, God is love. He does not say, God loves, or God is loving. Okay? John could say those things, but he doesn't. He could say them because God does love. God is loving. Scripture says so. God loves his children. God loves the world. But this, what John tells us here, this sentence goes beyond that. We know love is sometimes described as an attribute of God. That's true. That's fitting. But the attribute of God's love is not just a description of how God is. It's also a description of who God is. If that feels like a finicky description, you can hear the distinction when we apply similar language to other people or to ourselves. Let me give you an example. So I'll use just myself so I don't have to call out anybody else. By God's grace, I think, I hope, it's true to say, Nathan loves. 
It's a weak love at times, but a true love. I love my wife, my kids, my family, my neighbors. I love you. It's true to say Nathan loves. I hope it's also true to say Nathan is loving. I want that to be a characteristic mark of my life. But now listen to this sentence. Nathan is love. Well, that doesn't sound appropriate. That would be a very bold claim to make of yourself, wouldn't it? I don't think that I could rightly say that about any of us here. No matter how loving we are, Danny is love, Priscilla is love, Uh, yeah, Janet is love, but for God, that claim is fitting. God is love. It's who he is. Love is not just what he does, it is his very being. And this distinction will help us to understand other things about God, too help us understand things like God's hate. So scripture tells us the uncomfortable truth that God hates. God hates sin, and at times God hates sinners. But there is a difference between God's hate and God's love. Because hate is not any part of God's being. It's not part of his nature. It is not who he is. Hate is a proper, fitting expression that comes out of other parts that are who he is. That it is his nature to be righteous. It's his nature to be justice. It's his nature to be goodness. God is righteousness. God is justice. God is goodness. God is love, but God isn't hate. That's helpful to us. But when we say that God is love, we're not just talking about some action or characteristic. We're speaking about the essential being of God. That's the first. Here's the second. John says God is love, but he does not say God is mainly love. He doesn't say God is mainly love. That's what some people assume when they hear the sentence, God is love. Oh, this must be some primary thing about God. It's God's core. It's God's backbone. And that's not the case. We know that love is the fulfillment of God's law. But love is not the fulfillment of God. There are many places in Scripture that tell us who, what God is in terms of God is love. So just in John's writing alone, we hear the words, God is light. God is truth. God is life. God is spirit. Even outside of John and the rest of Scripture, God is holiness, God is faithfulness, God is goodness, the list goes on. So God is not 
51% love and 49% other stuff. He is 100% of all that he is. All that God is, he is in the entirety of himself. God's nature is not divided or partitioned. And his attributes are not stacked in order of priority. Which means that God's love is not greater or more glorious than something like God's justice. Both are fully true of God. And we want to take care that we worship God for all of himself, not just for part of himself. We worship God because he is completely sovereign, because he is completely holy, because he is completely love. God is not mainly love, but he is fully love. There's the second Third, John says God is love, but he does not say love is God. He says God is love, but he does not say love is God. It might sound similar, like we should easily be able to swap those two, but those two sentences are radically different. It's true from the word of God that that love is from God. If you abide in love, you abide in God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. All of that's true, but that doesn't mean that love itself is God. Love is not some abstract impulse, some big magnetic force, some cosmic power that moves of its own mystical volition. And maybe that sounds obvious to some of us, but functionally, that's how a lot of people treat love. That love is some supreme God that stands above and over all, and that love must be obeyed. I'm sure you've heard the sentence, love is love. You've heard that? Love is love. I'm not sure exactly what it means uh, culturally sometimes. Uh, Sometimes the meaning seems to shift. And even if we gently ask a person what what they mean uh, by that sentence, I'm not convinced that they always know what they mean by it either. But at any rate, I do know that the words love is love, that's often used as a sort of ultimate trump card. That anything I might do in the name of love must automatically be right. You can't question it, you can't challenge it, you can't test it, because love is God. And so you better get out of love's way. That's the approach of many people. There are Christians too, by the way, who do this, even in other forms, using the love of God, we claim, as as a justification for what we do. So have you ever heard someone say, I'm only telling this to you in love. I even got the head tilt with that. I'm only telling this to you in love. 
Sometimes a translation of that is, you better shut up and listen because I'm automatically right. Now, it's true, we know, sometimes we do have to say hard things, and when we do, we should say them in love. But that we should not automatically assume that just by calling it love, it's automatically good or right or true or godly. Sometimes those words are just mean, nasty even, and they're hiding behind a mask of love that we call God. Rather than saying love is love and love is God as if it was some sort of impersonal energy force that's compelling us, we ought to say God is God and God is love. He is a personal God who knows us, who loves us, and who shows us what is love and what isn't love. That's the third. Here's the fourth and final. We're almost there. John says, God is love, but he does not say, Jesus is love. Now, if you got ten suddenly, God is love, but he does not say Jesus is love. Let me be clear right away. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. He is love. Oh my goodness, he is love. I don't want to demean the grandeur of Christ's love one drop. It is glorious. But I do mean to say that Jesus is not the only person of the Trinity who is love. God is love. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, these three persons in one God are unified in a singular love, unified in the love of God. So you should never say, Jesus loves me, but God doesn't. If you feel that, put that thought out of your mind. It cannot be that Jesus loves you, but God doesn't. Jesus is the manifestation of the triune love of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which means if you've known the love of Jesus, you've known the love of the Father. The sending from the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, the sealing by his Spirit in every believer, all of this together is all the work of God who is love, of God whose love spans wider than the scroll stretched from sky to sky. And that's good reason to rest. It's good reason to praise. That's part of the reason why we sing. We'll sing a hymn in a moment, but we'll let our kids help us and lead us. You can join me too if you want. Praise him, praise him, all you little children. God is love. God is love. 
Praise Him, praise Him, all you little children. God is love, God is love. Pray with me. Lord, you are God and you are love. Help us to trust in you to abide in you and to be shaped by your love. Lord, by your spirit, would you grow our love for each other and grow our love for you. You are supremely worth loving. Thank you for loving us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.